Well, the title of this morning's sermon is A Husband's Love and a Wife's Respect. And so hopefully you all have handouts. Is that correct? Okay, very good. And so, so if you're young, raise your hand if you're unmarried. All right. Well, I, I love to see single people learning about marriage. Someone came up to my booth yesterday and, and was interested in buying uh, one of my marriage books, but seemed concerned because she wasn't married. And I said, that's fantastic because marriage is interestingly one of the only things in all of life that we seem to prepare for after the fact. Uh, if you think about sports, you don't begin practicing the day of the game or worse after the game, right? Uh, a test, you don't start studying the day of or after. And marriage is when people start reading marriage books and going to marriage conferences. I think it's phenomenal to start learning about marriage when you're young because it helps you know what to be as a husband or wife and or know what you want to be as a husband or wife and know what to look for in a husband or wife. And so for the young people here, I think there's there's a great benefit to learning what God's word has to say. So if you want to look at me at Ephesians 5.25, a familiar verse here, the primary command for husbands, it says to love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. I'm sure, a very familiar verse to all of us. Now, because this is the primary command for husbands, it somewhat begs the question, why are there any verses that follow, right? Because if this is the command, why don't we just stop there? Well, the reason is that verse 25 gives us the command, and then what do you think the following verses do? They tell us what it looks like to obey this command. And that's really important, because if you went out in the world and you asked 100 people what it looks like, for a husband to love his wife, how many different answers do you think you would get? Okay, I think we can do better than that this morning. <laughs> what do you think? I'll ask it again. So if you went out in the world and you asked 100 people what it looks like for a husband to love his wife, how many different answers do you think you would get? 200? 200? So, so that, <laughs> yeah, some people might have multiple answers. My suspicion is the answers would probably sound something like this. Make sure your wife lives in an expensive home. Take her on fancy trips or bring her on exotic uh, vacations or give her very expensive jewelry. Essentially, the world typically thinks that husbands loving their wives looks like materialism. And so really, there's kind of good news and bad news here for husbands and maybe even even for wives, too. So so the good news for husbands, which might be bad news for wives, is that husbands are not expected by God to spend lots of money on their wives. Right. Which is why it might be bad news for wives. The bad news for husbands is that what God does expect of us is incredibly more difficult than spending money on our wives, which is why many husbands would be much happier paying for something or giving some amount of money versus doing the things that God's word commands. So because there's such a contradiction between what the world says about a husband loving his wife and what God says, we want to keep in mind that a husband could actually be very pleasing in the world's eyes, but be a poor husband in God's eyes. And conversely, a husband could be very, uh, what did I say? Did I say pleasing in the world's eyes, displeasing in, in God's eyes, and a husband could be very pleasing in God's eyes and look like a poor husband in the world's eyes. And because our desire is to be pleasing husbands in God's eyes, then we're going to concern ourselves with what he says it looks like for a husband to love his wife as Christ loves the church. If you look at verse 26, you can see what husbands do if they want to love their wives as God commands. And it says that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. And this brings us to lesson one in your handouts. Husbands love their wives by washing them with the word. 
Husbands, love their wives by washing them with the word. As husbands, we're commanded to sanctify and to cleanse our wives. So this verse shows us at least partially responsible for the, and when I say us, I mean husbands, partially responsible for the sanctification of our wives. And so because wives are still free moral agents, we're obviously not completely responsible for their sanctification, but it's completely true that someday my wife Katie is going to stand before Christ and I am at least partially responsible with her sanctification when she finds herself before her Lord and Savior because God has commanded me to sanctify and cleanse her with the word. We're told that that's how it takes place uh, with the word of God. And so that introduces uh, quite a few ways that a husband can do this. Uh, A husband can take his wife to a Bible teaching church. And, And ladies, if I could just have your attention for her, just by a show of hands. If you're a wife and your husband is sitting next to you or typically sits next to you in church on the Lord's Day, would you raise your hand briefly for me? If you're a wife and you can look and see your husband sitting next to you in church, if you're a wife and you can see your husband sitting next to you in church, would you raise your hand for me? Is that it? Only three, two wives? Okay. Well, I just want to say something to you ladies, and I mean this sincerely. If you haven't thanked your husband for prioritizing worship on the Lord's day and bringing you to a Bible teaching church, then I want to encourage you to do that because there are many wives who wish that they were in your place. And you should not take for granted that you are married to a man who brings you to church and worships with you on the Lord's day. I have met enough women who would give almost anything to be in your position and be able to worship and have her husband sitting next to her. And so at some point, preferably sooner than later, put your hand on your husband's leg and and look him in the eyes and say, thank you for being a spiritual leader in our relationship who will take our family to church on Sundays like this, especially as that becomes more infrequent, sadly, as our world moves away from Christ. Uh, You can have the Bible playing in your home. I mean, have you ever considered the uniqueness of of the day and age in which we live? If you have a phone a smartphone at least. Does anyone still have flip phones? I do know a gentleman who still has a flip phone, so maybe I should say smartphones. But if you have a smartphone, you have access to thousands of incredible preachers and an endless number of sermons. Nobody throughout all of human history has been able to say that. And so it is an incredible time that we live in that we really shouldn't take for granted the access that we have to God's word and to, and to you know, just great exposition of the scriptures. Most churches, you know, they could have home fellowships. They could have, they could offer conferences, plenty of ways for husbands to bring their wives to positions where they can be sanctified and cleansed by the word of God. And then the last thing, if a husband is commanded to sanctify and cleanse his wife with the word of God, then what's another way that a husband could do that that I haven't mentioned yet that I don't really think we can escape? What should a husband be doing with his wife? He should be reading the word with her. I really don't see how we can get around the need, if we're going to obey this verse, for a husband to read the word with his wife. I've met husbands and they've said, I don't know if I can read the Bible with my wife. And I always say, if you can read, you can read the Bible with your wife, right? It doesn't have to be anything fancy or uh, there's no, it doesn't have to be a dog and pony show. Most husbands are not in the position that Pastor Scott and I are in to be able to give ourselves over to the word of God. And many of our times of family worship, 
or family Bible studies, they don't look like much more than reading a verse, asking the children if they have any thoughts, perhaps sharing some thoughts, and then reading the next verse. And if there aren't any thoughts, just going to the next verse. And because where is the power for the sanctification and cleansing to take place? Is it in the husband? No, it's in the word of God, right? And so if that word is going out and washing over the family, then we can be convinced, or washing over the wife and and children if there are any, be convinced that that sanctifying and cleansing is taking place. The fact that husbands are called to sanctify and cleanse our wives tells us something about our responsibility, and this brings us to lesson two. Husbands set the standard for holiness in the home. Husbands set the standard for holiness in the home. So because men are responsible with helping sanctify their wives, we have to set the standard for holiness in the home, and it's not the wife's responsibility. And so what this means, brothers, is our wives should never have to fight us to have holier homes. Our wives should never be frustrated with certain things in our lives, like the way that we talk or act or things we listen to or things we watch. And this means husbands are also responsible for what comes into the home or has the potential to influence the home. And so this means that we are responsible with what our families watch, what our families listen to, the jokes that our families would tell, the ways that our families would talk, the the modesty maintained in our home, particularly with our daughters, the company that our family keeps, how our family spends their time, and our are the family's involvement in the local church. All of this rests on the father's shoulders as a spiritual leader of the home. But I'll tell you something that's very unfortunate. I don't know that I can think of an instance of a husband complaining to me about his wife's holiness. I'm not saying there aren't some husbands who are frustrated with their wife's holiness, but I just can't remember a husband coming to me and telling me that he's upset about what his wife listens to or watches. I can't think of a time that a husband came and said, my wife won't pray with me. My wife won't go to church with me. My wife won't read the Bible with me. But unfortunately, what have I heard different times? Why saying that? I'm frustrated with what my husband watches or what my husband listens to, or my husband won't pray with me, or my husband won't go to church with me, or my husband won't read the Bible with me. And that's particularly unfortunate when we consider that God has called the husbands to be the spiritual leaders of the relationships. If you look at verse 27 with me as Paul continues explaining what it looks like for husbands to love their wives, it says that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. And this is reminiscent of the previous verse in that it's describing the sanctifying and cleansing work that Jesus does with the church. But Paul does something truly profound in this verse that I want to make sure we don't miss. And it's contained in the phrase that he might present her to himself, that he might present her to himself. This verse is directly connected to verse 26. And so it's saying that Christ does what he does in verse 26, sanctifying and cleansing the church, so that he receives the glorious church described in verse 27 that what? Doesn't have spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but is holy and without blemish. So here's the simplest way to say it. Christ gets the church that he prepares for himself. Now, because Christ's relationship with the church, well, let me ask you this. 
we know there are <laughs> plenty of passages that are primarily about Christ. But is this passage primarily about Christ or is it primarily about marriage? It's primarily about marriage. There is revelation about Christ's relationship to the church, but it is primarily talking to husbands and wives. And so because of that, when we see what Christ does with the church, or that he does what he does with the church, to get the church that is sanctified, cleansed, without spot and wrinkle, a simple way to say it is Christ gets the church that he prepares for himself. But because we're to look past that to the marriage relationship, this brings us to lesson three, husbands get the wives that they prepare for themselves. Husbands get the wives that they prepare for themselves. So just as Jesus gets the church that he prepares for himself, so too do we as husbands get the wives that we prepare for ourselves. And wives typically respond very well to certain things. They respond very well to love, to holiness, to forgiveness, to gentleness, to kindness. A wife who is treated lovingly, forgivingly, and kindly will generally become more loving, more forgiving, and kinder. A wife who's treated cruelly or harshly or unforgivingly will typically become more unforgiving, crueler, and harsher herself. There's one time, and I'm terribly ashamed to say this, when Katie and I were having this argument, I think it was about uh, nine or ten years ago, but I still remember it very vividly, and she looked at me, and she said, because she's heard me talk about this stuff. She's she can finish my sentences in sermons. We go over them together. She's heard me put on many, many marriage conferences and talk about these issues so many times that she can quote them back to me when we're having an argument and remind me what a husband should, should be like and shouldn't be like. <laughs> and so this one time she was talking to me and she said, I'm going to let you know that I wasn't as much like this until we got married. She was basically saying, I made her worse as a wife. And my flesh wanted to flare up and make excuses, but it was true what she had said. I had to re recognize and repent because she had become weaker or developed a, a, a weakness because of her relationship with me. I had rubbed off on her. I had gotten the wife that I had prepared for myself. Earlier, I said that husbands are heavily involved in their wives' sanctification. And, and another way to say that is that a husband is heavily involved in the wife that he gets for himself. And the reason is simple. If a husband is sanctifying and cleansing his wife with the word of God, then he's going to end up with a wife that is more sanctified and cleansed. And so there's really two great reasons as husbands that we would want to be spiritual leaders in our homes. One reason is that God's going to hold us responsible for that. Few callings on this side of heaven are higher than the one to be, to be spiritual leaders to our wives. But the second reason is there's actually a benefit to the husband himself for loving his wife as God commands. It is a command that has a considerable benefit for the husband. What does it look like to have a more spiritually mature wife? Well, if I made it simpler, I would say it would be a wife who would produce more of the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I don't have to ask for a show of hands <laughs> for this, but, you know, what husband doesn't want to see more fruit of the Spirit? I mean, I've never had a husband come to me, you know, pulling his hair out saying, oh, I'm just seeing way too much fruit of the Spirit for my wife. You know, she's just too loving. She's too joyful. She's, she's too gentle. She's, she's too patient. Husbands don't say that because every husband wants a wife that's more spiritually mature. Now, if a husband isn't being that spiritual leader to his wife, 
then and he ends up with a wife who is on the moves toward the other end of the spectrum and what's opposite the spirit the flesh and if you kind of picture an elevated view of galatians 5 if you're not getting more of the fruit of the spirit you're getting more of the works of the flesh no husband wants to see more of the works of the flesh from his wife, right? No husband comes and says, oh, I'd love to see more outbursts of wrath and more contentiousness from her or anything like that. There was a gentleman, it's happened a couple times, a man has come into my office for counseling, and I don't know if you'd say the same with this, but sometimes people, I find, come into counseling, and they don't really want counseling in the truest sense. They don't really want to grow. They're upset with their spouse, and they kind of want someone that's going to be a referee and say that they're right and the other person is wrong. Or maybe a husband, because he knows I'm a husband, thinks I might identify with him and then kind of come over and put my hand on his shoulder after he tells me how terrible his wife has been and say, oh, I'm so sorry. I can't believe that she acted like that toward you. And boy, it's just an incredibly difficult situation that you find yourself in. And so perhaps he talks worse about his wife to elicit that sort of response from me. But the thing he doesn't know is that the worse that he's talking about his wife, the worse he's making himself look to me. Because as he says these terrible things about his wife, in my mind, I'm thinking, would your wife really be acting this way if you had been doing what with her? Praying with her? Reading the word with her? Taking her to church regularly or having involvement in the local church? If you are sanctified, this doesn't sound like the behavior of a sanctified and cleansed wife. This sounds like the behavior of a wife who is basically left alone regarding her her spiritual uh, maturity. Skip down to verse 33 for a second. So we can begin discussing wives. It says, nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Because most of us are pretty familiar with this verse, we probably lose some of the sense of what it would say if we were reading it for the first time. So just for a moment, I just want you to imagine you never read this verse before, never read this passage before. This is the first time that you've reached verse 33. Because previously Paul has been talking so much about husbands loving their wives, when he gets to verse 33 and summarizes, what would you expect him to say? Probably something like this. Let each one of you in particular love his own wife as himself, and let the wife love her husband as herself. But there's no mention of that. Instead, he focuses on a wife respecting her husband. And this brings us to lesson four. Husbands must feel like their wives respect them. Husbands must feel like their wives respect them. Before, as a pastor, I was an elementary school teacher. And real early in the school year, I would tell my students some things that I never wanted to hear them say. And I would even tell them that if they said this, then I was going to punish them. Whether it's hold them in from recess or, or maybe even call their parents if it happened repeatedly. And I said, there's a phrase I never want to hear you say in this classroom and you'll be punished the moment you ever say it. And it is the phrase, I was just kidding. Can you imagine why I would tell students they couldn't say that? I was just kidding, or I was just joking, is generally the response from students when they have hurt someone's feelings. Does that make sense? Can you see that? I tell my children the same thing. I say, don't ever say, I was just kidding, or I was just joking, because it shows a complete disregard for the way someone else is feeling. You've hurt someone's feelings and you deny it 
by saying I was just kidding. And so what I want to do is I want to get people to see how their behavior or actions have affected others. And I had to learn this uh, or apply this in, in marriage counseling because picture a, a husband comes in and or husband and wife and the husband starts telling me how disrespectful his wife has been. And if I look at her and I and she gives a response, she's going to say, well, you know, of course I respect my husband. Or if I look at the wife and she's telling me how she doesn't feel loved by her husband and she says, my husband is, you know, very cruel to me and it doesn't seem like he loves me. And then I look at the husband and the husband says, well, of course I love my wife. Well, what, what these people are doing is they're denying the way their spouse is feeling and they're making a claim or a statement that I would say is typically untrue because of the way that it's caused the spouse to feel. I mention all that because that's why this lesson is worded the way that it is. The lesson doesn't say that wives must respect their husbands. I mean, I could have put that. But if I put that, then it allows a wife to say, I do respect my husband. But if I word it this way, then it causes a wife to be concerned with what? The way her husband feels. Do you guys see that? Well, similarly, if I mean, if I do marriage conferences and I talk, I talk even more about husbands loving their wives, then it's not so much whether a husband says he loves his wife or in 1 Peter 3, 7, dwell with your wife in an understanding way. It's not about whether a husband says he dwells with his wife in an understanding way. It's about whether a wife feels like her husband is dwelling with her in an understanding way. And so the issue is whether a husband feels respected. Now, I want to ask you something. If God is going to command wives to respect their husbands, what is the world going to do or strive to do? Any guesses? Well, let me ask you, what do you, do you say something, sir? The opposite. Which would be what? Them. Yeah, to disrespect them or make men look as though they should not be respected. You said Homer Simpson. And I would say almost all media, movies, commercials, books, television shows, you name it, that comes from the world makes husbands look how? Like Homer Simpson. Incompetent, inept, bumbling, foolish, individuals who can't be trusted to do anything right. Matters must be taken into a woman's hands because only a woman can do it. If 1 Peter 3, 7, which I mentioned a moment ago, commands husbands to understand their wives, what is the world going to say about women? Come on, come on. You guys, you guys can say this out loud. You can't understand women. You cannot understand women. So I'm just going to say, I don't like the jokes. I don't like the jokes that make men sound incompetent and that they shouldn't be respected. And I don't like the jokes that women can't be understood because they contradict God's word and they play into the world's agenda. And so I would just invite you, don't go along with it. Don't make jokes about not being able to understand women and don't make jokes about men not being leaders or not being respected because that's exactly what the world wants to, to do to us and just don't play into it. Now, the obvious question then is if we are going to see wives respecting their husbands, what does that look like? And I would say, ladies, respecting your husband, it means admiring him looking up to him, holding him in high regard, supporting him, being his biggest encourager. There's a lot of weight on husband's shoulders. There are times as a pastor, I, I'm, I'm not joking, and maybe this sounds a little dramatic, where I can almost feel like everyone's against me. There have been some 
incredibly crushing situations in ministry, and there's only one person that I'm convinced will always stand by me second to Christ, and that is my wife. So I need her to be that encourager. I need her to be that support to me when I feel like I don't really have anyone else. And I suspect, ladies, that your husband has felt crushed by this world at times, very discouraged, whether from work situations or relationships or financial trials or sicknesses, and he needs to know that you're there to encourage him and support him. And you respect your husband by considering how hard he works to take care of your family. That's one other thing, ladies, I would encourage you not to take for granted. There are some deadbeat husbands and wives who would love to have a husband who works as hard as your husband does. Consider the sacrifices he makes to be a good husband and father. Conversely, and I don't know if you've ever considered this before, ladies, but one of the ways that you disrespect your husband is through discontentment. One of the greatest ways that your husband will feel disrespected is if you are discontent with your lot in life, whether it's your home, whether it's your car, whether it's your children, whether it's your responsibilities, whether it's your finances, whatever the case, all of that sort of discontentment causes your husband to feel like he's a what? Failure. Because he is the one who has been striving to provide for the family and apparently in your eyes hasn't been doing a good enough job. Few attitudes, have you ever done things, if you're a parent, you would understand this very well, because if you've ever done things for your children, one of the things that causes you to feel the most disrespected as a parent is when your children are, demonstrate ingratitude toward the things that you do for them. You feel disrespected, and it can be the same for husbands who work hard for their families. Wives also disrespect their husbands when they talk down to them. Treat him like a child, make him feel like he's a little boy in trouble, or interrupt him, or talk over him, or you know, roll your eyes when he's talking, or huff and puff, or wag your finger in his face. There have been a few times where I remember this gentleman was, I've seen a few situations like this, but one situation uh, remains pretty vivid in my mind, where this gentleman was in a group of people telling this story, and I thought he was doing just fine, and his wife walks up, and she kind of enters this circle and just puts her hand in front of his face like this. And she's just like, <laughs> she kind of rolls her eyes like this. And she's, she's like, just stop. Let me, let me tell them what happened. You know, and she's, she interrupts him and she, and, she, and then she kind of, you know, let, this is what really occurred, you know, and be, and I just thought if the, if she would act that way in public, I cannot even imagine what this woman must look like behind closed doors. If she would be that disrespectful to her husband in front of a group of men at church, I cannot even imagine when they get to their home how she would act toward him. It's disrespectful when a wife tells funny stories about her husband's inability to fix things or how many times it took him. And I'll, I'll just share two, two examples from our life. I, don't, I am incredibly not handy. What, is there a word for not handy? Whatever that word is, like multiply it and that's where I'm at way out there okay so there are guys in my church who like build houses for themselves and and fix cars and things like that and I'll give you an idea how how not handy I am when there's like a church work day and I go there basically more for the for the fellowship <laughs> it's like I'm walking out and people are like oh there's pastor Scott you know don't give him any power tools or anything or he's going to hurt someone and so that's kind of the category that I'm in so we had this gate at our house that was uh, falling down. And for 
many men to fix this would have probably been a fairly effortless situation. Um, for me, it bordered on one of the greatest accomplishments of my life, okay? And so I go out and I'm working on this gate and I was able to get it, you know, to remain upright, kind of fix the fence a little bit and open and close nicely. And I, and I sat back with an amount of satisfaction o- over this accomplishment. And so I walk into the house and I tell Katie that, hey, you know, the gate that was kind of falling down on the side of the house, I just want to let you know that I was able to, to fix it. And there's a lot of things that Katie could have said at that time. She could have said, well, it's about time, Right. Or she could have said, well, when are you going to get around to fixing all the other things at our house? Or she could have said, well, now you did that, but there's also these other things. And, and you know, or why did it take you so long? Or I was wondering if I was going to have to call the handyman. And so instead what Katie did was she said, well, I'd like to go out and see it. And so she walks out with me and she kind of stands next to me and she looks at the, the gate and, you know, she just looks at me and she says, wow, you know, you did a really great job on that. That looks really good. And I kind of went, well, you know. <laughs> Internally, I did that, not, not outwardly. Uh, <laughs> but the whole point is, it made me feel respected. Because uh, to me, because of how not handy I am as a big deal, I'll do that. We moved into this new house. My dad passed away unexpectedly. Mom moved in with us. We had to get a new house. We move into this house. There's no hot water. And I'm so oblivious to this kind of stuff that... I didn't even know. It took me a little bit of time to learn I had to, had to light the hot water tank. Is that what it's is it even called a hot water tank? Is that what it's called? So I go out, so I, I'm thinking, okay, that's probably what it is. I need to light the hot water tank. So I go out, there, go out there and I'm looking at it, and I really have nowhere to begin, or I don't know where to begin. And I'm looking at the directions on it, and I'm thinking, this thing almost looks like a big old bomb. You know, is there like gas in there or something? Am I going to hurt myself? I got all my children in the house. Is there a chance I could blow them up? And... And so there's this picture on there of these flames and this man running away from the flames, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, so I'm like, okay, there is great potential for me to blow up my family. And all my kids are in the house right now. And I'm like, I don't really want to blow myself up, but I really don't want to blow up all my children and my wife. And so I'm thinking, and I'm not joking, I thought, you know what, maybe I'll send all of them out to the road and they can stand there while I attempt to light this. <laughs> and just in case something happens, they'll be safe and maybe, uh, so, but then I also thought, you know, I don't do a whole lot of things like this and I, I want my sons to be better in this area than I am. So I bring my sons out, two of them were here, Ricky and Johnny, and I'm like, hey, come on out here, let's try to do this thing together. And I want you to learn how to do this. And in my mind, I'm juggling, I'm like, okay, teach them how to light this, but also potentially blow them up, you know, so which one of these is better. So I bring them out there and like super diligently and carefully reading the directions on this thing going step by step and then you know and then you get to the point where you turn on the gas and you turn on the gas and then it's like I, I'm terrified to kind of light it and I'm afraid if I don't light it soon enough there's going to be too much gas all around and there'll be an explosion and things. So I, uh, so apparently I didn't blow us up right because you see me and you see three of my children who are here and the other children are safe at home. So we did by God's grace get this thing lit. And so I tell Katie, I said, hey, I think you'll, you know, you'll have some, you'll have some hot water now. And so uh, to many men, it probably wouldn't be a big deal. You know, Katie was very gracious and she's like, wow, I'm really proud of you. You know, I know that that was, um, could have been very confusing and I'm, and I'm very thankful that you did that. And that was a, you know, blessing to our family. And so it just caused me to, to feel respected when she treated me like that. And so ladies, I just want to say, don't make your husband feel silly. Don't make him feel foolish. Don't belittle him. Don't talk down to him. Don't treat him like he's a little boy in trouble or mock his abilities to to be able to do certain things. Well, what you should strive to do is let other people, especially your children, 
hear about your husband's best qualities. And here's the thing. As you do that, as you praise your husband, potentially to him, to others, and to the children, guess what's going to happen with your respect toward your husband? It's going to increase. As you look for your husband's best qualities, as you focus on his strengths, as you speak well of him, as you praise him, you will find your respect for him growing. Now, conversely, if you criticize your, your husband, if you talk down to him, if you talk bad about him, if you worse gossip about him, I don't know if you ever thought about this before, but in Proverbs 31, it's interesting. We think of that. I say Proverbs 31, and immediately, what do you think of? A man or a woman? Come on, you guys can answer a lot. It's a, do they, are people, do they normally answer any things? Let's try this again here. <laughs> Scott, well, he, he nodded. He told me you guys do answers. No, so I say Proverbs 31, do you typically think of a man or a woman? Yeah. It's the virtuous wife passage. Everyone knows it. Well, toward the end of it, there is a discussion of a man sitting in the gates. And it's like this real sharp turn. You're like talking about, it's like wife, 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 all about wife, wife, wife. And then suddenly it sounds like this husband's being praised because it talks about him sitting in the gate. Did you know that's still about the wife? Did you know that that is praising the wife? That her husband sits in the gate? That that is as much about the virtuous wife as every other verse in that passage? Because the idea is he wouldn't be there if what? Not for his wife. The idea is he has found that position of leadership within the community because of his wife. And I can say this here. I can't say this at my church. There are men we've considered for elders, one man in particular, and we said he would be an incredible, I think in many ways he'd be a better, much better elder than me. And we can't make him an elder. And do you know why? Because of his wife. Her contentiousness, her immaturity, she's a gossip. And... He will never, and there are some men who will never reach the level of prominence or leadership within the church or within the community because of, even though these men have the ability and talent to do so, but because of their, their wives. And so it is a credit to a wife when a husband is respected. There's so many Sundays when Katie's like a single mother, or excuse me, yeah, she's basically a single mother because I'm busy with people in the church. That's probably a very fitting way to say it. She's staying here of all the kids. And second to um, myself and maybe the other elders, she is basically the most, she's the most sought after, sought after woman by the women in the church. And I can be at the front of the church talking to people and I can see my wife in the foyer. And I just cannot tell you what a blessing it is to me as a husband to know that in all of those situations, despite all of my weaknesses and failures and struggles as a husband and father, she's never sharing those. She's never making me look bad. She's never criticizing me. If she's going to, she's going to do it behind closed doors. She's not even going to do it in front of our children. And and I'll just, I'll share one thing. I don't think my wife sees me accurately. And that's the truth. She doesn't know the man that I am. She thinks too highly of me. She really does. But I'll say this. I want to be that man. I want to live up to the standard that I believe. I want to live up to that bar that I think my wife sets for me by the way she talks to me and about me, to our children or to other people. And ladies, if you, your husband is not going to have any trouble living up to the bar you set for him, or what? Living down to that bar. If you want to belittle your husband, you want to criticize him, treat him like a little boy, don't be surprised if not only you don't respect him, but he doesn't respect himself. 
and he never becomes the man that he could be because he hasn't been given the helper that could give him the encouragement or help me that would allow him to grow into that man and leader. So it's a difficult balance to strike here because sometimes, because God has given wives as helpers, and one of the ways that, one of the great ways that wives help, one of the great ways Katie has helped me is by, we leave a, we leave an environment or a situation. We, if she was here today, we could leave church. If I have a lot of conversations and she could say, you know, you, you interrupted that person or you didn't listen well enough. She could have said, I, you really blew it and didn't get to church on time, you know, or she could say you, you, when you shouldn't have said this in the sermon or you were talking too quickly. And all those things are very helpful for me. So I don't want to discount a wife helping a husband in that way, but I do want to say this. Sometimes a wife's help really helps, but there are other times that a wife's help or criticisms basically can scream, I don't respect you. I don't trust you. When a husband makes decisions, you don't know what you're doing. It usually sounds like this. I could do this better. You don't know what you were you don't know what you're doing. What were you thinking when you did that? How does a husband feel when a wife says, "What were you thinking? Didn't I tell you to do it this way instead? Did you really think that was going to work?" That is always going to cause a husband to feel disrespected. So sometimes this is why you have to learn your husband. Sometimes I'm just trying to help does help. A wife will say that, but other times it can cause a husband to feel disrespected. There's interestingly in our church does this seem like I'm talking too quickly? I'm serious. Does it seem like I talk too? Okay. That's a credit to my wife if you could shake your head and say no. Because I used to talk super, super quickly. So much so my wife would sit on the inside row right where you're sitting toward the front. And she would lean out into the aisle. And I'm not joking. She would go like this with her hand to tell me to slow down. She would do it so much that people noticed it. And they came to talk to me and they said, hey, uh, did you see when you were preaching your wife was going like that. Does that bother you? And I would say, no, I actually find it to be very helpful. I don't feel disrespected. There are times because Katie knows me well enough that I'll start to say something that she'll go like this. And when I'm preaching, she'll go, <laughs> which is code for don't say that. Women have went up to Katie and said, hey, your husband was preaching and you went, like this. Doesn't that cause them to feel disrespect? And it doesn't. It's helpful for me because I'm not, apparently, I'm not joking. I'm not always discerning or wise enough to know what, what not to say. God's given me a wonderful wife that can help me. And so she says, no, he actually finds that to be very helpful. And so I don't, so you have to learn your husband and what he finds to be respectful or disrespectful. The next lesson, lesson five, wives can love their husbands without respecting them. Wives can love their husbands without respecting them. There is such a perfect picture in scripture of a wife loving her husband without respecting him that this is actually the only woman in all of scripture. It's not to say other women didn't love their husbands, but there is only one woman in all of scripture recorded as loving her husband. And she's also the same woman who I think put on the most disrespectful display toward a husband in all of scripture. Any guesses? Joe. These are all good guesses. Michael, you're correct. Is it, is it Michael or Michael? Michael. Really? You might know better than me. Okay. I always said Michael. But 1 Samuel 18.20 says, Saul's daughter, Michael, loved David. Now, I'm not saying otherwise. Didn't love their husbands, but that is the only woman in all of Scripture said to love her husband 
And if you want to turn to 2 Samuel 6 in your Bibles, you will see she is the woman who also put on what I consider to be the most disrespectful display for toward her husband in all of Scripture. In the New Testament, who is the woman set down as the example for wives? In the New Testament, who is the Old Testament woman set down as the example for wives? It definitely is not Sarah, right? 1 Peter 3, 5, in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah, who obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Why is Sarah set down as the example for wives? You can't say it's because of her love for Abraham, even if she loved him, because there's no mention of that. Because of her what? Her submission, her respect. Sometimes women hear that and they'll say something like, well, I wouldn't have any trouble respecting my husband or submitting to him if he was the father of faith. Or I wouldn't have any trouble submitting to my husband if I was married to Abraham. Ladies, (laughs) Sarah is set down as the example for you, not because of how easy it was to submit to Abraham, but because of how difficult it was to submit to Abraham. Many times. What would it be like if you're a wife and your husband says to you, I am terrified that I'm going to die. I want you to be in danger. So you go ahead and say that you're my sister. Twice. (laughs) And she ends up getting captured and finds herself in in a king's harem, a foreign king's harem. God did end up protecting her, which is a great testimony to to the protection God can afford when a wife is submissive to her husband. My point is, the nomadic lifestyle, every time perhaps she starts to settle down, and then Abraham says, now we need to move again, it would have been incredibly difficult for Sarah to submit to Abraham. Now, in 2 Samuel 6, we learn why Michael is not mentioned in 1 Peter 3 as the example. The context, David recently became king. I'll I'll make this quick. I'm not sure how long I've been preaching, or because I didn't notice, notice the time. So, David's recently become king, and he had tried to bring the ark into Jerusalem. Do you remember what happened the first time? Uzzah, they bring the ark on a cart, something they had learned from the Philistines who sent the ark back on a cart. It was supposed to be carried on poles on men's shoulders, and Uzzah reaches out to touch it, to ride it, because it starts a tip and he gets killed. David becomes angry and probably somewhat fearful, sends the ark to the home of Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom is blessed, which shows that there was nothing wrong with the ark at all. In fact, it blesses those who, who obey God's commands regarding it. So sometime later... David is, David is successfully bringing the ark into Jerusalem, and probably because of his love for the Lord and because of how poorly it had went the previous time, it is a very joyous occasion for him. And tragically, his joy is going to be ruined by his wife. 2 Samuel 6, verse 16, as the ark of the Lord comes into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looks their window, sees David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and then notice this, she despised him in her heart. And that can sound a little strange, why would she hate him because of the way he's acting right now? Well, let me ask you to think about something. How did Michael come to know how kings should act? Or what was the king, who was the king that she knew most? Her father, Saul, who was incredibly concerned with outward appearance. And he would never act this way. David had taken off his kingly kingly, um, garments. He he had put on the humble apparel of a priest, the ephod, 
and Michael thought this was unbecoming of her husband. She did not want to be the queen who was married to this man who had acted in this way. And this is, I confess, this is just speculation. I don't think David looked particularly good at this moment. I think everyone kind of assumes he's like this great dancer and he's out there impressing everyone. <laughs> I don't think that. I think that he probably looked in a way where you might have kind of cringed and thought, wow, he's, it's kind of looks a little silly or embarrassing, perhaps. Or else, how do you explain Michael being so upset by his behavior? She didn't like her husband behaving this way publicly in the number of people who associate her with him. So, look at verse 20. David returns to bless his household, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. So she couldn't even wait to get in the house. She had to run out and confront him. That's how mad she was. There were times I used to call... When I was a school teacher, I'd call a mother and tell her how her son was acting. And I got the impression that that child would not even reach the front door before that woman would launch out of it and grab him by the collar. Like as soon as this mother sees that son at the end of the driveway, she's already out there to pounce on him. And that's what I always think of when I read this account. And so ladies, I would just ask this. Can you be like this? Do you ever pounce on your husband when he does something wrong? Do you ever treat him like he's a little boy who's in trouble? Do you ever act toward your husband or chastise him or ridicule him like Michael is about to do here with David? She says, and listen, you can almost just imagine the ridicule is just dripping with scorn as she mocks him. How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids, in the eyes of the maids of his servants as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. Now, just to let you know before we read this next verse, this is a low point for David. We talked about husbands loving their wives, and it's unconditional. Ephesians 5.25 and Ephesians 5.33 and Ephesians 5.22, which command wives to submit to their husbands, don't contain, don't contain, none of those verses contain a really important word. Do you know what that word is by chance? If. Which means it doesn't say husbands love your wives if, or wives submit to your husbands if, or wives respect your husband's if. These are unconditional commands. A brief qualifier, there are situations under which a woman wouldn't, wouldn't be expected to submit abuse or, or sinful situations. But typically when I've met with couples, when wives haven't wanted to submit, it has been not because of sin or abuse issues. So right here, David has no excuse for this behavior. In verse 21, David said to Michael, it's before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house. Do you think it might have stung Michael a little bit when David said this? Reminded her how her father had been rejected and God had chosen David instead, a somewhat prideful statement from David to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord. Therefore, I'll play music before the Lord. I'll be even more indignified than this. I'll be humble in my own sight. So basically, he says, you think this is bad. I can act even worse. But as for the maidservants of whom you've spoken by them, I'll be held in honor. And if you wanted a very concise definition of respect, it could be that phrase, held in honor. There's probably not a better concise definition of respect. And this is what's really interesting. Here's what David said. And I really, there, aren't, there are not many things that stir me up more than when people act like the Bible doesn't have application for today. You're looking at an account that has played itself out, I will say, typically in workplaces more than any place else. And here's what I mean. I'm not justifying this evil behavior. I'm just calling it very plainly evil. But I am telling you how it happens. Right here, David said to his wife, if you don't respect me, I am sure that I can find plenty of what? Women who do. That's what he said. And their husbands 
who feel disrespected by their wives, they go to work or, or any place for that matter where they happen to see some woman possibly regularly. This woman gives him attention. She listens to him. Maybe she laughs at his jokes. And what does he say? Sinfully in his heart. She would respect me. My wife doesn't. She doesn't appreciate me. She doesn't appreciate the sacrifices I make. But I can tell by the way that this woman is looking at me, listening to me, laughing at my jokes, carrying on this conversation. She would respect me so much better than my wife does. And that is typically how adulterous relationships begin. And it's exactly what David said right here. You don't want to respect me. I can be respected by other women. And then David no longer had relations with Michael. It do, she never had children. Some people think that means she was barren. I don't think that. When women were barren in scripture, it says they were barren. God closed the womb or hadn't opened it. Why did Michael not have any children? Because David had no relations with her. Did David have other women in his life he could have relationships with? Sadly, yes. So he totally, what is one of the cruelest way, what is one of the ways a husband can be the cruelest to his wife? Simply ignoring her and neglecting her, whether physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And that's what David does here with Michael. I don't want to throw out too many names, but briefly turn to 2 Samuel 3. So I can show you something that's always been pretty interesting to me. Saul had a general named Abner who would be, when David was at war, the house of David was at war with the house of Saul, Abner would be like the MVP of the opposing team if we use like a sports analogy, okay? So the MVP of the opposing team, Abner, says to David, I want to defect and join you, and I will bring the entire nation for you to rule over, because at this time, David is in Hebron, only ruling over the southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin. Look in verse 12. Abner sent messengers on his behalf to David, and he said, Whose land is this? saying, also make your covenant with me, and indeed my hand shall be with you to bring all Israel to you. So he says, you make a covenant with me, or you let me join you, I'll bring the entire nation for you to rule over. What would you expect David to say? This is not a trick question. What would you expect him to say? Let's do it. Come on. Let's, as soon as possible, let's get this thing done. Look what he says in verse 13. Good. I'll make a covenant with you, but there's one thing I require. You will not see my face unless you first bring Michael, Saul's daughter, when you come to see me. Here's my point. When we were in 2 Samuel 6, Michael had, well, let me, let me start in 2 Samuel 3. In this chapter, David's feelings and affection for Michael are so strong, he will not let the MVP of the opposing team come and join him unless he brings his wife, unless Abner brings David's wife, Michael. You go forward three chapters and Michael has disrespected David so much that he no longer wants anything to do with her. I am not saying it's right, but I am saying that there are some wives who have disrespected their husbands so much that it has changed their husband's feelings for them. It's not right because a husband is commanded unconditionally to love his wife, but it does still happen in relationships today, just like it happened 3,000 years ago with David and Michael. Now, Our last lesson, lesson six, wives can make their husband's spiritual leadership easier. We've talked a lot about spiritual leadership and respect, and I'd like to tie these together with this final lesson. I'm going to share something 
that I t- it took me years to learn because we project ourselves on others. Remember I talked about fixing the gate or lighting the water heater? Those are very challenging things to me. This is not particularly challenging to stand here. And I project on other men, and I assume that if I can stand here and share God's word comfortably, then it must be comfortable for other men to share God's word. We do that, don't we? We assume that other people are like us. And so I assume that it's comfortable for most men to pray with their families, read the word with their families. That's actually easier for me to do than if I was to go build a house with my, my boys or something like that. I learned that most men are actually, or many men, are terrified to pray with their families. Many men are terrified, even more terrified, to read the word with their families. They're afraid that they're not going to be able to answer that question correctly. They're afraid that they're not going to sound like their pastor at church or that guy on the radio or that guy at that conference. And I know this from the number of men who have come up to me at marriage conferences and said, I'm convicted. I heard what you said about being a spiritual leader. I want to be a better spiritual leader, but honestly, I am just so afraid to pray with my family or read the word with them. I heard it enough times that I recognize the very legitimate fear this is for many husbands. And so, ladies, I want to give you some encouragement. Now, just sharing that with you. Ladies, just give me your attention for a moment. Just sharing that with you, the fear that many men experience, can you see why you can be a great help to your husband in his spiritual leadership in the home? Can you already start to see where I'm going with this? So, ladies, I'm not trying to discourage you, or I'll give you one example. I was counseling this couple, and this wife would come into counseling. She had a very strong personality, and she would say, my husband should be reading the word with me. I really want him reading the word with me. And I met with him, and I'm generally trying to get people to think the best and view things positively. So I would tell him, hey, you're blessed. You have a a wife that wants to read the word with you. She's craving that. Go home and and read the word with her and see what improvement you have in your marriage. He comes back to me like three weeks later, and I could read his face that things were not better. In fact, they were worse. And I said, well, how could that be? What happened? Did you read the word with her? And he said, I did, and I'm never doing it again. And I said, why? And he said, every time I open the Bible, she wanted to question everything I said. She wanted to criticize every position I took. She wanted to disagree with every single interpretation of a verse that I had. And I will never open the Bible with her again. Ladies, that's the effect you can have on your husband. That's how you can cause him to feel. So I want to give you some encouragements and some discouragements. Your husband is not going to want to read the Bible with you if he thinks he's going to have to argue with you constantly or if he thinks that it's going to be a battle every single time over every single verse. Now, it's not to say that you can't disagree with your husband. It's not to say that you can't suggest a possible different interpretation. But I do want to say this, ladies. I want to make this very clear. For every deposit or for every withdrawal you make, you had better make considerably more deposits. You can disagree with your husband, but make sure that you have built him up and given him the encouragement that he needs. Second, don't ever under any circumstance ever compare your husband with another man. Don't talk about how he doesn't talk like or sound like the guy on the radio or the pastor at church or that some other guy probably does it differently or even worse, better than the way your husband is doing it. Teaching is a gift, which means it's some men have it and some don't. And men are not better or worse if they do or don't have the gift of teaching. And so it's not an issue of superiority or inferiority to be able to teach the word. And that also means when your husband opens the Bible with you, 
don't expect a John MacArthur sermon or a Billy Graham crusade, right? Just expect him to be able to open the Bible, read a verse, hopefully talk about it with his, his family. Be your husband's biggest encourager. And this is what I would say, ladies, if your husband, even if he fumbles every word, even if it is one of the poorest Bible studies you have ever heard, even if your husband mispronounces many of the names, what do you need to do? You need to look at him and thank him for being a godly man. You need to put your hand on his leg, look him in the eyes, and say, I recognize that there are many women who don't have this. And I cannot tell you the incredible blessing it is to me as your wife to have a husband that reads the Bible with me because I know that it puts me in the point zero 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 one percent of the population who actually, of, or percent of women who actually have a husband who will do this with her. So I want to ask you to picture something. Let's just say there's a gentleman, and he could even be sitting here, and he's terrified. He's convicted. He knows he needs to read the Bible with his family, but he's also terrified. And so let's fast forward to tomorrow, Monday, you know, and he's sitting at work and he's reflecting on this, this sermon this morning and the things that I said, and he's become burdened to be a better spiritual leader in his home. He knows he needs to read the Bible with his family, but he is terribly afraid to do so. And so I'm not joking. He spends the whole day at work summoning up his courage to be able to read the Bible with his family. And he has determined that when dinner finishes... Tonight, this will be the night that I tell my children to push their plates aside and we are going to read the Bible together as a family. But what's racing through his mind the whole time? What if I don't know what to say? What if I don't sound like the guy on the radio? What if they ask me questions that I can't answer? What if I don't know how to pray well? What if I don't know what book to look at or what verses to go through? So he overcomes this fear. You fast forward to dinner time, dinner concludes, and he says, Stop, don't race away from the table. We're going to do something different tonight. I want everyone to go get their Bibles and bring them to the table so that we can read. Now imagine at that moment his wife says, do we have to do this right now? Is this really how we're going to spend our evening? Is that the version of the Bible you're going to use? Are you really going to begin in that passage? They start reading and she says, is that really the correct interpretation of that verse? You know, I was listening to a sermon on this passage, and that's not what the pastor on the radio said. Maybe you need to go to church and you need to ask Pastor Scott what this verse really means. Or, wow, this first Bible study sure is long. There was one woman who said that. I brought, brought a couple in for counseling, and I, asked, I lobbed it over the plate. I asked this woman, I said, so your husband read the Bible with you? And, I'm, and what was that like? And what do I expect her to say? It's incredible. I'm setting her up to praise her husband. And she says, well, that first study sure was long. There were not that many times that I can remember being that frustrated with a woman in counseling. <laughs> but that was one of them. Now, let's imagine the same man, same fear, all day, summoning up his courage, dinner rolls around. I mean, his heart's pounding in his chest. He, can, he basically believes his family can hear his heart pounding in his chest. Dinner concludes, has the kids push their plates away, get their Bibles, and now imagine his wife says, this is incredible. I have been praying for this for years. I feel so blessed that you would open the Bible with our family. 
She tells the kids, don't worry about the plates. We'll clean them later. I mean, that alone might get the kids excited about the Bible study, right? (laughs) She looks at the children and she says, what a wonderful daddy you have. I mean, you know, just to be candid with you, we, you know, we talk about family Bible study. We have nine kids. The youngest was born in September. And so much of our Bible study is trying to get kids to sit straight and pay attention and not fall asleep. My kids aren't sitting there at Bible study saying, hey, dad, we've only done two hours. Keep going. You know, <laughs> it's not like that. So when our kids start to get a little antsy or, or anything along those lines, guess who it is that jumps in and deals with our children? My wife. Katie frequently says things like, do you have any idea how fortunate you are? Do you have any idea how blessed you are to have a daddy who will read the Bible with you? She doesn't even allow me to do that. She doesn't allow me to be that person. She's the one that dives in to say those things to our kids. And so imagine at the end of the Bible study, this same woman prays out loud for her husband to hear, maybe even holding her husband's hand. And she says, Lord, I'm so thankful to be married to a man like this. Thank you for giving me a godly man who will read the Bible with his family. I know there's an incredible weight on his shoulders being responsible for our family It is a privilege to be his helper. Help me to help him. He has such a great responsibility. Help me to lighten it for him. And so here's what I want you to see. Do you see how husbands are called to be spiritual leaders, but do you also see how wives play an important role in husbands being that spiritual leader? And I just want to close with this. When we talk about marriages, this is not about... This is filled with a lot of application. Uh, One thing theologically, this isn't something that we talk about, and I'm going to say now, go out and try super hard to do this. Go out and just white knuckle it. Go out and in your best effort, just strive to be this better husband or strive to be this better wife. I want to tell you, if you're a Christian, then the gospel is at work in your life to enable you, to equip you to be the husband or wife that God has called you to be. And so this is not something that you have to do alone or in your own effort. This is something that you can rely on the power and work of the Holy Spirit to accomplish in your life. It has been a privilege for me. Oh, last thing. So uh, Pastor Scott said I could graciously offer some uh, to sell some books here today. And I just want to be real clear about this. If money is tight at all, then feel free to take whatever you'd like, any books from me. Uh, and consider it a gift from the Lord. I never, I never went, I never started publishing books because I wanted to make money from that. And in fact, I tell you, if you're thinking of ever publishing books, don't do it for the money because there's not a lot of money in it. <laughs> so for me, you just believe in something and you want to see lives strengthened or Christ exalted. And one way to do that is to put material in books that people can read. And so if money's at all tight, just consider it a gift from the Lord to be able to take uh, any of those books if I, if I end up bringing, bringing them in later. Uh, thank you for the privilege. Pastor Scott, thank you for sharing your, your pulpit with me. It's been a, been, a, been a blessing, excuse me, to be able to be here with you. And I look forward to talking with you after. If I can pray for you in any way, I'll, I'll stay around as long as possible to do so. Do I close in prayer? Or what's next? Okay, close in prayer. Father, I thank you for this time this morning. I, again, I thank you for this fellowship, Lord, and the opportunity to share your word with them. And I pray, Lord, that you would all give us marriages that resemble Christ in the church if for no other reason than that we can reveal Christ to an unbelieving world and help the husbands to love their wives and be the spiritual leaders that you've called us to be and help the wives to submit to their husbands and to respect them. Help us all in these areas that you've called us to, Lord, to obey your commands but recognize that we're not expected to do it in our own effort, but by the power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel at work in our hearts. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.